are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Got Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast coming up in about 30 minutes at 2.30. We'll have him on to talk about everything going on through fall camp up to this point. Another scrimmage in the books this past weekend we'll get his thoughts on that as well Lance how you doing today my man doing great Noah 10 days away from college football we do have some week zero action this week but the real stuff the SEC football starts in 10 days that's right and I want to start off today's show with Brian Harson's press conference we've got some other great stuff lined up for today's show but let's start off today with the press conference that just wrapped up a few moments ago with Brian Harson, and the topic of conversation heavily is the COVID-19 status within the program yeah and Harson uh Harson was laying out some different things that he was talking about about COVID-19 and all the different stuff going on in the program tried to let everybody know yo we are not we are not anti anything here we're just trying to handle the situation to the best of our ability uh, it, yeah, it's a, it, it was an interesting it was an interesting time, especially especially on Zoom. Uh, intern Sting and I were talking a little bit before uh, we we started the show. It's like, don't you know that any press conference is going to be rough o- over Zoom, much less this one, considering what's unfolded over the last week or so. And this is his first time speaking with the media since the announcement that he tested positive for COVID nineteen, but he did address that, said that he's doing well looks to get back into the facility on Monday and be right back at it. So not that long of a turnaround, only a missed week of practice and whatnot. 10 days is the COVID-19 protocol. And so he'll be back on Monday, or at least hopes to be back. That's the timetable, Monday, August 30th. No other coaches or players were forced to isolate because of Harson's positive result, he said as well. And then the quote from him via Christian Clemente's Twitter account, friend of the program, comes on on Fridays at C. Clemente underscore, quote, I'm at home, isolating, feeling good, hoping it continues to be that way. I know I'm fortunate to say that. Also, as you just pointed out, he said, we are not we are not mandating vaccines because they can't mandate vaccines to their student athletes under Alabama law. Other states and universities can. We cannot. That's what Brian Harson had to say about that. And then additionally, he said he's not anti-vaccine, as you mentioned. That is something that he wanted to clear up as well. As much as the narrative may have been out there that 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 uh, that, that may have been being pushed, that, that he says it's not true. Yeah, and then as far as the threshold, he also commented on that about the 85% vaccination threshold, said he does believe that Auburn can get there, does believe that the Tigers can get there, and I think that eventually they will. At some point, uh, eventually, a a lot of SEC teams will. Um, You know, you and I were talking about yesterday on the show, LSU announcing that they're mandating either you have a proof of a negative COVID test or uh, you have to have a a vaccine to to enter LSU games this season. I don't necessarily think we're going to have that 
we're not going to have that at Auburn this year. In order for that to not happen, we need to see the team kind of keep their stuff under control. So I believe that one way or another, the team is going to find a way to get to that point. Let's get into some actual football things that he had to say. We've got a bit of a two deep at offensive line. It's not set in stone, but we do have a two deep. I don't know how much that you've gotten to see this yet, but starters right now, or at least guys that are at the top of that two deep from left to right, you've got left tackle Austin Troxel, left guard Brandon Council, center Nick Brahms, right guard Keandre Jones, and right tackle Brodarius Amp. Right. So I, I put out an article on Auburn Wire earlier today talking about some storylines to look at heading into the open practice uh, later on this week. And I was talking about the offensive line in the article and to look at these six guys and to figure out whether or not Keandre Jones or Tayshawn Manning is going to be a starter. Troxel, Council, Brahms, Keandre Jones, Tayshawn Manning, and Broderius Ham were my six that I believe were going to be among the best. And so my question was whether or not Manning was actually going to be end up being a starter uh, at right guard. And so you see Brian Harson here talking about Keandre Jones actually taking that spot. So definitely interesting to get that too deep. At left tackle, you've got Troxel and Zaire, Brandon Council, Alec Jackson at left guard. And at center, Nick Brahms, Jaleel Irvin, right guard, Keandre Jones, Tayshawn Manning, Brodarius Ham, Brendan Coffey at right tackle. And there's your two deep for the offensive line that came out of today's press conference as you'll see at multiple locations I find this interesting that the talk of the offseason is that this coaching staff loves Tayshawn Manning and that this guy's going to hold down the left guard spot and that it's going to be the exact same offensive line that we saw last year and then wham bam right here look at it it's not it, it there's several changes on this offensive line three to be exact actually at three different positions which is interesting because Brandon Council, if I'm not mistaken, he was on the right side of the line last year, right? He or was. He was playing right guard. And, and then when he got hurt, Keandre Jones slotted in. Right. And he was projected, at least by some people, to to start at the, on the right side of the offensive line as well this season. But as we see here, it's clearly not the case. Well, We've discussed guys. the potential of if you didn't like what you've got on the left side of the line in uh, Alec Jackson and Tayshawn Manning, the possibility of switching Brandon Council to left guard. He could play any spot on this offensive line if you need him to. I don't think that he is a left tackle, but I think he could play any of the guard spots. I think he could play right tackle. I think he can play center. I think Brandon Council is truly that glue guy on this offensive line. He's the best offensive line. He's the most talented, most versatile O-lineman here. And you know, based off of film, this coaching staff will know this based off of film, and then the little bit that they've gotten to see him in actual spring and fall camp, you know that Keandre Jones is probably a better choice at guard than Tayshawn Manning. So why not take your versatile right guard, move him to left guard to shore that spot up, and then import Keandre Jones into that second guard spot on the other side of the line? And now I think you've got your best five out there. I think what you're looking at between Austin Troxel at left tackle, Council at left guard, Brahms at center, Jones at right guard, and Ham at right tackle, I think you're looking at your best five. And you and I talked about the potential of that, not necessarily having these guys glued to their individual positions that they've been at 
through their time at Auburn, but this coaching staff shift them for shift them around just to make sure they get their best five. Yeah, absolutely. They've been cross training throughout the uh, throughout fall practice. It's something that uh, Brandon Council, whenever ta- he talked to the media, said was a very good thing to make sure that everybody understood all the different positions. And then you and I talked about potentially if one guy goes down, another one can slot in at that position, even though he may be most comfortable playing. If it's a if it's a left guard that goes down, maybe we get somebody like Tayshawn Manning to slot in because he's cross-trained at the left guard spot he's able to fit in and he's not just coming into a position where he he has no idea what's going on he's not completely new to it and he's comfortable I think it's a great idea that they've cross-trained and that they found their starting five I'll say this it's just as long as Brandon Council is starting for the Brandon Council Bowl week one will be good (laughs) (laughs) yes his former team Akron so Auburn will be taking on week one if you haven't heard yet and then also in this press conference, Brian Harson said that if they were to play a game right now, Bo Nix would be starting. So he gives an update a bit on the quarterback competition. But with that being said, I won't leave off the part that he said TJ Finley's really coming on and things are starting to click for TJ was what he said. And it's to be expected. I mean, you bring the guy to, uh, to SEC media days, uh, Harson does. So you would expect that that's your guy heading into week one, at least of the season. You would expect that he would be the starting quarterback. Now, there are a lot of Auburn fans out there that are calling for Nix's name, calling for his job, calling for this coaching staff to at least give these other two quarterbacks and Demetrius Davis and TJ Finley at least a shot, some more reps, an opportunity to show that they have what it takes to elevate the offense to the next level. Some Auburn fans are very disgruntled with the with, with the production from that position over the past couple of seasons, but it's it would it was to be expected that that Nix was the starter heading into this year simply because he's been the guy for two years and they brought him to media days and he's one of the leaders on this team I will say and I think we'll get into it later in the show he was not chosen as one of this year's captains which is interesting uh and and like you mentioned TJ Finley you know it's a guy that not a ton of people I feel like were high on whenever he transferred to Auburn but if Brian Harson who I feel like almost expects and demands excellence and perfection if he's saying that it's starting to click for a sophomore quarterback that has SEC experience, uh, that, that tells me some really good stuff. So I'm, I'm happy that if, if Bo Nix were to falter, which I don't believe that he will, Auburn has options at that quarterback spot, that they've seen good things from that position. With that being said, compared to today's press conference and what you learned from the head man himself, Brian Harson, and what we hear out of the press conference today to what we've all been thinking about what we've been projecting what we've been perceiving based off of hearsay through the first couple of scrimmages and every time Brian Harson takes the podium I think that he I think that he puts to rest some of the things some some of folks's concerns out there I, I mean maybe maybe it doesn't for other people but for me I'm like there seems to be a little bit of contrast between when Brian Harson says something versus the hearsay that comes out about a scrimmage or whatnot and that's what I've been kind of getting at all week long is like I think there's a big difference between saying that the offense had a disastrous performance in a scrimmage versus what this coaching staff may be relaying in their messaging because it's been a little bit different right do you feel like I don't feel like Harson's the type of guy to sugarcoat something. No, I don't. So I feel like if we're gonna if we're gonna listen to what this head coach has to say, I think he's gonna be blunt. I think he's gonna be straightforward. We've seen him be critical of this team in this fall camp. So for for him to say positive things coming out of this press conference, I think that's 
to take it for what it is. I think if, if we're saying that Nix is going to be the starting quarterback, TJ's come on well, the offensive line, it, they've kind of found their starting five. They're not set there yet, but they feel confident about those guys. You know, take it for what it is. Take the positive stuff. I, we, we, we've not heard a lot of positive things out of this fall camp. Let's take this and let's run with it. And I'm being more and more reserved now to the thought like, look, we're not going to know anything until these guys actually tape the field, and that's okay. I, I'm getting more and more to the point now where I'm like, all right, they're progressing. I think that they're very much so on schedule. I don't think that I have gotten anything out of out of any of the press conferences up to this point to make me believe that they are not on schedule at this point to be ready for the start of the regular season and to then ultimately be ready for that Penn State game I think people should be saving their conclusions or or any type of conclusion until that Penn State game and honestly they should be probably a little bit more patient beyond that because there's still development to be had after week three in a college football season also yeah final conclusions uh, I think should be held until the end of the season uh, but in terms of conclusions about how this season shakes out I'm right there with you I think it's the, the the real analysis starts week three against Penn State right on right on and that uh was just kind of going through a little bit of brian harson's press conference today says he's doing well says that he's handling this covid19 positive test that he's doing just fine he expects to be back on monday as well as giving an update on the offensive line and the quarterback positions lance i want to pivot this conversation to a different topic now number to call 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 if you want to join in to the show today i want to ask you this what dynamics of the auburn program do you think will change under this new coaching staff after you've been able to see a couple of weeks of fall camp in terms of their style of play style of play the any type of element of this program what do you think is subject to change under this new coaching staff what do you think we've seen already change under this new coaching staff we've got a good look I think it's uh I think you can start to say hey these types of things are beginning to shift a bit well I think I think a phrase that is that has come out a lot of people's mouths is attention to detail just how detail oriented this coaching staff is and in terms of the the dynamics of this program I think they're going to be a little bit more focused and in terms of you know you could set you can say all the Twitter jokes about how Bonix is focused and having fun and all that but I genuinely genuinely believe this coaching staff is going to make this program more disciplined it feels like they've been more disciplined this offseason and throughout this fall camp. They've been putting them in a lot, uh, a, a lot of pressure, pressure situations. They've been forcing them to go out there and to do the hard stuff. And uh, that's that's really, really what an SEC team, if you're going to be competing, competing with the big boys, you need to be able to do stuff like that. You need to be able to go out there, work and be disciplined. We're going to keep this conversation going on the other side of this break. What would you rather have? You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. What would you rather have? The Gus Malzahn tenure or go 10-2 and two every season but not beat Alabama. We talked about that yesterday. Lance, your thoughts? Honestly, 
I, I don't know if I could handle that. I don't know. Like every single year, would I rather have Gus Malzahn go ten and two? If we every single year, if Auburn was destined to be ten and two, but they couldn't beat Alabama, I mean, at some point you'd like the team to break through. Let, right? Let's establish parameters on this. Then let's say the same length of the Gus Malzahn tenures are like what eight seasons. Would you rather have Malzahn tenure of eight seasons, or would you rather have? the other eight seasons but you go 10 and 2 every year and you can't beat alabama uh or maybe even 11 and 1 and you can't beat alabama this is i'm asking do you want to be georgia or do you want to be malzahn uh i would rather (laughs) i would rather i would rather have years where i where i beat alabama man that's fine it's a much harder question now isn't it yeah it's a much more difficult question than what we were talking about yesterday (laughs) I would rather have. I would rather beat Alabama like every every Why? second or third because it's the big one of the biggest rivalries in all of college football and it doesn't happen often and like every, the year that we beat Alabama we're probably destined to do something bigger than ten and two so I mean like I'd rather ride the ups and downs than just constantly be Georgia and never get over the hump. It's funny that you say that, but the three years that Malzahn beat Alabama, he lost at least two games or more. But we went to a national title one year. One year. And then we went to an SEC championship the other year. Still lost four games that season. <laughs> but we went to the SEC title game. 10-2 and two is probably not going to get you there. I'd like to be able to get a little bit past that and beat Alabama. That's where I'm at. Sting, you brought this up yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I, I don't want to beat Georgia. I mean, Georgia, Georgia's recruiting is elite. And you said well, you, to, to get the big recruits that guys like Georgia have, you have to have those 10 win seasons but Georgia can't beat Alabama. So that that's kind of the deciding factor for me. I but mean, why can't Georgia beat Alabama? <laughs> Backup quarterbacks exist. Yeah. <laughs> that Kirby Smart I don't know. Maybe maybe it's solely because they're coached by a Saban assistant. I don't know. I don't know why they can't. Here's my takeaway from this. I think I would prefer oh, this is so difficult. Putting this into a vacuum I, I would like to beat Alabama, but it's it's not about beating Alabama. It's about getting into positions to be able to compete for championships. And plain and simple, you moved on from Malzahn because you wanted more than what he was giving you. Auburn made the decision to move on from Malzahn because they were not okay with three and five against Alabama, but then the five years that you didn't beat them, it was a massacre. And you were having subpar seasons. You were going seven and five, six and six, eight and five. People weren't okay with that, right? So you move on in hopes of getting more. Now, I bring this up because Georgia doesn't beat Alabama. You're right. And the reason why I don't think that they beat Alabama is because they try and take them on head up and try and beat them man on man, hand to hand, right? And I think that's kind of a direction that Auburn's program is going at this moment. That the way that the, this team is going to look to play football, especially from an offensive style of play they're looking to go head up and so I don't know if we're going to see Auburn beat Alabama or Georgia as much at this point with the way Auburn's recruiting but I do think that Auburn is going to be able to beat the other teams on their schedule with more consistency than what Malzahn was doing and I think I'm okay with that because in order for Auburn to get those recruits that they need to be able to compete with Georgia and Alabama I think they have to establish some type of consistency and at this point recruiting is a joke 
and you're not going to get there with going eight and five every other year. Well, here's my thing: if the question was go eleven and one every season but not beat Alabama, I would say I would I would go with that because that gives me an opportunity to go to the SEC title game. But if I'm I'm going ten and two, I'm either going six and two or seven and one, depending on whether or not I lose a non-conference matchup. But that Alabama loss is guaranteed. I don't want to have to be there at the end of the season seven and one, and Alabama beat me out to the SEC title game very consistently I don't want to say every year but consistently I want to be able to get past 10 and 2 does your well I mean it's a horrible question that this is quite the predicament I mean why would somebody want to ask this question but the the here's the point that I want to make now does your answer change with the new 16 team super conference that very well could not be a eight game schedule anymore with divisions could very well move up to nine be playing in pods Greg Sankey did say earlier today that he wants to rotate matchups with more frequency throughout the league, which would mean bye-bye divisions. So in that situation then, worst case scenario is is Auburn goes 7-2 and two with a guaranteed loss to Alabama, but they could also go 8-1 and one if, they, if they lost a non-conference game. The question is, is Alabama going to consistently then with that extra added non-conference game, going to be able to survive that, mm, that makes it tough. I would like to see that. I would like to see that because at the end of the day, there is more opportunity for Auburn to make it to the title game to get to a college football playoff, which we don't know if it's going to be expanded yet. Like, they haven't officially announced. They haven't voted on it yet, at least not to my, to my knowledge. So, Sure. I'll say I'll say in a nine con- nine game conference schedule, there's more opportunity for Auburn to get past Alabama without beating them. Let's change the parameters of the question again. Then instead of having an indefinite time period, let's break it down even sooner. Next three years, Auburn goes ten and two every single season, but doesn't beat Alabama. Or would you take, you know, one and two against Alabama over the next three years and go pretty much eight and five, nine and four each of those seasons? But you go one and two. So basically, the Gus Malzahn, once again, the Gus Malzahn stretch right there. I've been able to win, you know, once every three seasons, but you're still going to lose four or five games under that stretch. Yeah, but is the 10 and two result going to yield anything more special than a bowl that people don't really care about? It'd be about? a really nice bowl game. I care about it. I hate that attitude. I hate that attitude. But don't the, you like bowl games, Lance? Bowl games are fun. Yeah, absolutely. But don't if, you care? Do yeah. you did you care if Auburn was going to win the Northwestern game this past year? Probably not because everybody was tired. But on average, when Auburn plays in a bowl game, don't you want them to win it? Yeah, I would say the Northwestern one was a bad is a bad example. But yeah, yeah, I do want Auburn. To I win. mean, if you've ever used the argument that Gus Malzahn didn't win bowl games as a reason for wanting to move on from him, then you can't say that bowl games don't matter because you obviously cared enough from a prestige standpoint to want Auburn to win that ball game it's not the reason that I wanted to keep him though it's because he was yep. winning bowl games so like a 10 and 2 bowl game compared to an 8 or 9 win bowl game is not going to change my opinion if the 8 or 9 win bowl game season also includes a potential win over Alabama you know that's I just care about the rivalry now, do I want either of these scenarios to happen? I don't think any of us in this room would say we would want either of these fates. So, but it's a tough, it's a tough question to ask for sure. Unfortunately, I think this may be kind of the uh, direction that it may be going, right? Like this may be the question that you may, this may be the million dollar question that you're asking right here, a multi-million dollar question that you're asking. Do Can you th- Brian Horson with consistency beat Alabama? Yeah. And Malzahn was able to do it semi-consistently 
you at least knew that I mean he was three and five against Nick Saban that's an accomplishment and and like you said on yesterday's show uh you, you look at the way that Brian Harson's going to want to play this football team, and they're going to try and line up and hit you in the mouth and, and beat you man-on-man man and just out-physical you, just be a better football team, more fundamental, uh, more focused in having fun. They, they're just going to line up, and they're just going to beat you. And it's really hard to do that when you don't have the recruits to do it. I will say Auburn's still in like the top 15 of the blue-chip ratio, according to 24-7 sports. And For how much longer, that's though? That's what I was going to say question is is whether or not Harson's going to be able to recruit to that level consistently we're seeing the we're seeing this year's uh, recruiting class take a major dip regardless of whether they're able to like truly get back into like the top 30 top 25 it's not going to be on the levels that Malzahn had it in the top 10 during his tenure um, but I think there's optimism to believe that at some point one day Auburn will get to that point and the reason I, the, the thing that sets apart Auburn from Georgia is because it, the, the, the atmosphere that they play in is more regular and more important, I feel like. And so tensions rise, and there's a lot of different things that can happen in the Iron Bowl. Like, there's, there's a lot more emotions, I feel like, in the Iron Bowl than there is Alabama versus Georgia. That's just me. Though. I agree with that, so 100%. In, in there's a lot of, more on the line. And, <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, roll credits. But uh, <laughs> I, I think there's just, like, Whenever you whenever you match up against Alabama, Auburn does. I feel like there's a lot more opportunity for the game to either be closer than it should be, or for there an up for for an upset to happen. Whereas with Georgia, while it's obviously a great rivalry and I love watching those two go out there and compete, I don't feel like there's enough there from the Georgia perspective to like push them over the edge. I'll say this from the perspective of the question that I just asked: next three years. You have the alternative of one and two against Alabama, and I'm going to go ahead and put it on there that they don't make it to a national championship across that stretch. Maybe they, um, yeah, I'm I'm going to say they don't get into the playoff under that stretch of time. You're you're basically you know rewind the last three seasons essentially. You get 18, 19, and 2020. That's what you're looking at versus three years of 10 and two, and you do not beat Alabama. That's that's the question that I'm asking you. I would take the three years of not beating Alabama, but going ten and two over the previous three years with an expanded playoff and a nine uh, nine game conference schedule. Absolutely. Well, I'm just talking about right now what we're looking at in college football right now. These next three seasons. All right, this year, next year, and the year after that. I'm okay if Auburn doesn't beat Alabama as long as they hit ten wins across that stretch. And I know that like this is all just hypothetical conversation, but for to answer that question, and my reason for that is I think it elevates recruiting. I think recruiting at that point you're not selling, you're not you're not selling people bad goods, saying hey we're competing in the SEC when you're going eight and five every year, and it's the definition of mediocrity, and you're losing to teams that you shouldn't, right? Right. And it doesn't look overly competitive, and especially in some of the games last year. So that's my take on it is get to 10 and 2 establish some consistency and then you'll have some recruits to actually truly be able to get into position to win a to win an sec title and to ultimately get to the college football playoff look at georgia although they haven't done it at some point i think they will do it and as many people as we've talked to i remember talking to tony barnhart at sec media days and just other folks every single season we are going to ask ourselves the question until georgia does it is this the year that Georgia's going to do it? And do you know why we are going to ask ourselves that question? We're going to ask ourselves that question 
because they recruit and put themselves into a position where they are clearly a top five to top eight team in the country most years. The problem is, for Auburn, if you put a prediction that they're going to finish second in the SEC West most years, you get laughed at, right? So I want to pause your Georgia prediction. Just saw somebody on Twitter say that Auburn's going to beat Georgia with a Hail Mary that Bo Nix throws. So. <laughs> All right. Talk about <laughs> predictions. There, there's a hot take for you. Let's head to a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wednesday edition of the show, Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast with us today. Zach, how you doing today, my man? Man, I'm good. I'm good. Always a pleasure to chat with you on your show for a few minutes, boss. You and I were just talking off air. It seems like it's been a relatively quiet fall camp, at least during the week, but you get out onto the weekends with these scrimmages and it's given us enough food for thought and enough to talk about throughout the week. And last scrimmage, from all accounts, it seems like another tough one for the offense. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And, you know, a bunch of different um, opinions and and uh, eyewitness accounts of kind of saying you know what all is going on and obviously context some of these things matters but yeah I think day one like the defense is going to be ready to rock and roll and fortunately for the offense they've got some time but there's a lot of things to you know take into take into account like you know Bo Nix threw an interception in the end zone but after talking with some more folks like that report it's like okay they were like on the they were like uh, working on a, a goal line situation where they went like five wide and like Bo Nix threw something and, and you know, and, and it got picked by Rotorans. Like, is that going to happen in the game? Like, I hope not. I hope they're not in an empty set on the one or the two yard line, right? When you got Tank Bigsby and, and Sean Shivers, Jarquez Hunter, you know, sure, certainly they wouldn't do that. JJ Pegues. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, you got a lot. You got a lot of dudes that I think you pounded in from a yard away. So that's something you got to look at. And then a lot of people kind of, pointed at Bo Nix and said he had a hard time being accurate when throwing on the run and you know people complaining that you know Auburn's got a mobile quarterback that can't throw on the run what good is that and I'm like well hold on a second stop let's slow down just for a second here because we've all seen Bo Nix make some incredible throws on the run and so like uh, it's okay to have a bad day and you know two of the starting offensive linemen were out on Saturday uh, Friday night's practice or scrimmage or whatever you want to call it and so, uh, you know, their head coach wasn't there. The defensive coordinator wasn't there. I mean, there was a lot of different things happening. So I think it's safe to chalk it up when you look at it within all of those things in mind. It's like, OK, maybe they just had a bad day. And I've been trying to dispel the narrative that things are going really, really poorly on the offensive side of the ball throughout fall camp. But the narrative is kind of out there that Bo Nix has regressed and possibly falling apart here in this quarterback competition. What's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, we've heard that in the scrimmage. Finley, I think, is definitely gaining on him. But, I mean, Bo Nix is going to be the starter for this football team when it's all said and done. Is the leash short? Is it very short? Yes, I think so. And if if Bo Nix looks like he has on the road in the past, I think we're all getting flashbacks to Florida a few years ago, I think he may get yanked. But, I mean, he's going to have two opportunities to kind of prove um, to himself, to his coaching staff, to his uh, his teammates, to the fan base, to the college football world, that you know, okay, he can play on the road now. He can kind of be consistent and have that composure and and all of that. And because you go to Penn State, and you go to LSU, and I think there's going to be a lot of things that Brian Harson and Mike Boba put around him to make him more comfortable. 
I think Take Bigsby's going to be able to shoulder a lot more of the load than any other player has for him since he's arrived at Auburn. I think that's going to help him out a ton. I think the scheme's going to help him out a ton. Quick passes, kind of, you know, predetermined things before the before the ball is snapped. Or you can kind of get to the line and have some checks. I think you're going to see a ton more of that, including checks for the offensive line. I think Nick Brahms is going to do a good job of kind of telling people what exactly they need to do up front. So you're going to see a lot more of that pre-snap than you have in years past. And that may be something that helps Bo Nix. We always hear how smart of a football player he is, how he really grasps, you know, um, the ability to watch film and the football IQ and all, you know, all those buzzwords. So I, I think it's going to help him when it's all said and done. But yeah, it sounds like Finley's pushing him, and that's something Auburn fans should be excited about. 100% I agree. I'm just kind of almost into disbelief, though, about it. When it when you compare the two quarterbacks' film from actual live game action and T.J. Finley's short time at LSU, and it doesn't look good against good teams. If anything, it's much worse than Bo Nix's against good teams, I, I, I think that most people would say. And Bo, although there's been bad on the road and there's been bad against good teams, I still think he's shown some flashes against those teams as well. So, like, I'm kind of in stunned disbelief to have heard some of the things that we've been hearing over the last week. Uh, Yeah, maybe. And, you know, you, you look at last year, especially with Finley, like, are the situations the same? And like, I don't know if they are. I, I think, I think uh, Bo Nix is the better quarterback. So I agree with you. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it is just isn't it a little weird? Like you haven't heard anything good about Bo Nix. That's like, why I'm in disbelief. I don't believe it. I don't. Yeah, maybe so. And there's you know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of folks that have access to to people that are at practice and like you think something would leak out, but you know you heard a big narrative leading up into the second uh, the second fall camp before all this COVID mess started getting thrown around. Um, you know how much of a step the receivers have taken, and it's like well somebody's got to get them the ball, so maybe there's something there, right? And I think Bo Nix was in a much worse situation maybe with the players around him last year, of course. He had a better running situation last year on offense, 100%. Auburn's running game just dwarfs LSU's running game last year. LSU was struggling to get four yards a carry. They were horrible at running the football. Auburn at least had that element. But I think LSU's receivers for sure last year, you you take Kayshawn Boutte and Terrence Marshall over Auburn's receivers any day of the week. I take one of those guys over any of Auburn's receivers last year. And that's not me hating Auburn's guys. I'm just saying LSU has some really talented dudes. And then I also think you'd say probably LSU's pass protection right there with Auburn's pass protection, if not a little bit better. So I think the supporting cast in terms of the passing game, honestly, like TJ Finley wasn't in as bad of a situation maybe as Bo Nix was in terms of throwing the football. Yeah, and and I mean I think we saw the difference between Auburn and LSU last year when Auburn absolutely clobbered them. Yeah, Jordan Hare, and it was at home, and you know that rivalry's always kind of been weird. But I still I still don't think you can just compare the two. I think there's so many different elements that go. I mean, just the eye test. If you watch Auburn last year and you watch LSU last year, it's like okay, one of these offenses was way better than the other one. I think we both agree on that. But the um, I don't know when you look at quarterbacks, especially when both of these guys are in a different system than they were a year ago with Harson coming in. You need to look at traits, and you need to look and see, okay, what is you know Harson done in the past? And like, I think what Finley does lines up better with what Harson has done than what Bo Nix brings to the table. But we've also seen Harson when he comes into a place, he kind of modifies his offense based on who's there, as you know any good coach should. So. 
I still think it's Bo Nix's job. I, I don't think there's any way that Bo Nix does not start against Akron. But man, if he does, all of a sudden Harson puts a lot of pressure on Finley because you know he better deliver if you're going to make a decision like that. 100%. Switching to the other side of the football, it looks like this defensive backfield, you talk about Roe Torrance with his 100-yard pick six, but he's not the only guy who's been getting interceptions in practice. Sounds like this defensive backfield's living up to the billing, at least up to this point in fall camp. Right, yeah. It's, it's always a different guy. It's not like it's always just Nehemiah Pritchett. It's not always just by Darius Knight, and it's not always just Donovan Kaufman. And, you know, the, the guy that you saw get the pick that we talked about a second ago when they were doing some goal line stuff, Roe Torrance entered the fray. And they have they were doing good on good. And so Roe Torrance was with the starting defense. That's what that tells me. And so you've really heard everyone's name except for the name we all expected all summer. And that is our friend Drayshawn Miller from West Virginia. I mean, what analytics absolutely loved him last year. And you've heard nothing about him. The only thing that I've really seen about him is when you know folks put out their their depth charts, um, but based on what they saw in practice, he was like with the third team. But it was early in fall camp, so we're like, ah, he's just got to learn things. But we still haven't heard much on him, which is uh, which is really really interesting. To be frank with you, with this coaching staff's approach to football and to managing and running this program, and to how tight of a ship that is being ran at Auburn at the moment, I have a hard time like latching on to any narrative right now I don't think we know anything I'm really I'm really creeping into this existential crisis mode maybe with this football team through these first two weeks of fall camp or 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 a little bit over that these first two scrimmages I should say I really don't think we know a thing and I don't think we will know anything until we finally see them play would you agree with that statement um that's a lot of work are they putting all that extra work in to to hide things maybe Possibly. Um, do we know, how, like, have we learned nothing from watching, you know, the open sessions and, and details from the scrimmage? Like, have we learned nothing? Like, I don't know about that. But are they hiding things? Possibly. I don't know, like, is there a specific thing you're saying, like, as far as, like, a, a you know, a, a super secret weapon that they haven't, you know, it's like some some backup receiver that we're not talking about going to be like with the ones. Is that is that what you're saying? No, I'm just not certain if I believe the narratives that this team is kind of behind schedule at this point. Oh, I mean, it's impossible to know. It's impossible. The right. defense isn't. The offense probably is. And so as a whole, like, are they on schedule? Like, yeah, maybe so. And Auburn's in a situation where they don't have to be on schedule. Like, they don't have to be ahead of the game right now because they've got, you know, two cupcakes before they actually play – uh, a good team. The fa- the the way the schedule lined up really really helps Auburn, and I'm sure that's been a talking point out here on on the show. But um, I don't know, man. It's impossible to tell. The offense seems like it was finally coming together, and then a lot of guys had to miss the scrimmage, and that's really unfortunate timing for many different reasons. Take me through this COVID nineteen situation right now with Auburn. Last Friday, Brian Harson announcing that he tested positive for COVID nineteen. Derek Mason shortly after that as well. Derek Mason already announcing that he's recovered, and I believe he mentioned that he was vaccinated as well. Take me through this COVID nineteen situation on the planes. This coaching staff knows how to manage every little detail inside of a football program. I'm sure that they have had contingencies in place for if and when this does occur. Uh, I mean, that's what Harson said in his release, right? That, um, you know, and Jeff Schmetting stepped up 
And, you know, Schmetting is a guy that this coaching staff really, really likes. I mean, we talked uh, to Brad LaRondo, Auburn football's chief of staff, Brian Harson's right-hand man. And Schmetting, I mean, Harson and, and LaRondo, these guys believe that he's um, he's a star in the making uh, as a coach. And so Schmetting is kind of the guy who stepped up, and uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he did a good job. Taking a look at the wide receiving core, we could talk about problems all over the field on offense, but the receivers don't seem like, aside from drops here and there, it seems like the receivers have have flourished in their development. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like they took a step back Friday, but other than that, that seems to be an exception to like all the progress that they've been making um, because it sounds like the whole offense just kind of sputtered Friday. So, But other than that instance, it sounds like they've really, really put it together. I mean, a ton of praise coming from people saying – uh, you know, they've come so far since spring. Um, and I, I think they've got a good variety of different skill sets and sizes and abilities. I think the receiving group's going to be fine when it's all said and done. What have we learned about Auburn's fledgling pass rush through fall camp? Uh, I think that it's very deep. I think that they're going to use a ton of guys, especially early. Maybe they'll kind of refine their uh, their rotation as the season goes on. But Derek Hall seems to be ready. I think Colby Wooden really likes this role where he's kind of doing different things. And uh, T.D. Moultrie is apparently a guy that's flying under the radar, so I've been told, and possibly could start at that other outside linebacker outside of Hall. And so that's something that, that Auburn fans can uh, can really be excited about. Then you bring in guys like um, Eculiota. Marcus Harris sounds like he's going to be a starter, the, the transfer from Kansas. He's been one of the biggest surprises of fall camp. Um, I think they brought this kid in with the chance of being a, a role player early and then possibly being a starter down the road. But he's been exceptional by uh, by all accounts. Everyone's blown away by what he's doing. And then obviously, you know, in early downs, you're going to see a lot of um, a lot of action with Tony Fair because he's really Auburn's only super big guy that's going to be able to clog up the middle of the field for the defense, especially in the running game. But it sounds like he's really, really stood out to this coaching staff as well. I saw on Locked On Auburn's social media accounts, you put up a starting 22 for Auburn, and Marcus Harris was in that front seven. Take me through your decision to place him there. So we went with, when uh, we, when we did this exercise, we assumed uh, the base would be a 3-4 defense, and then we threw in a nickel, so really 12 starters on defense. But yeah, I, I think with what you have lining up up front, you've got Tony Fair. I think he's going to start the game. I think Marcus Harris is a guy you want on the field because he can play defensive end or scoot inside a three technique. Same with Colby Wooden. And then with this 3-4 defense, you put those athletic, you know, hybrid guys at outside linebacker. And uh, the guys that I've put as starters there are T.D. Moultrie. And uh, actually, I put Eculiota, but I, it may be T.D. Moultrie now that, since I've made that. But one of those guys is going to be opposite Derek Hall. And so you want versatility in the, in the inside that's going to be able to kind of move around and do different things because Derek Mason's going to have a lot of different fronts um on the top side of the defense and you know you want to throw as much as uh, as much as you possibly can at these opposing offensive lines so yeah Marcus Harris I think is going to be a really really uh fun guy to watch for the Tigers this year last question to you before we let you get out of here speaking with Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast ACC Big Ten Pac-12 create this alliance that really doesn't look like it has a lot of teeth to it we don't really know a whole lot about it what's your takeaways from the announcement made yesterday. Yeah, they had that press conference, and it was a lot of, uh, as Josh Vitale would call it, word salad. It's like you're just saying big, exciting buzzwords, but they don't really mean anything yet. 
I'm curious to see when this happens because with like the current contracts, I think mean, Auburn's playing UCLA forever from now. You know what I mean? And it's just like they've got to wait for all of these non-conference games and all these contracts to play out before this alliance really comes to fruition based on my understanding of it. So I think there's a lot of upside to it. I think it could really enhance college football and really enhance these other conferences that are part of the Power Five. I think it's just going to take time. I don't think this is going to be something where you snap your fingers and it's like, okay, this alliance is now caught up with the SEC and their additions with you know Texas and Oklahoma. I don't think they're the same thing. But it could be. It could be down the road. And look, more high-quality matchups with uh, between opponents and teams that we don't typically see, I'm all for it. I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the game. And those are usually the things that I watch. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see it. I just don't think they fully know what it is yet, or at least they haven't released it. Zach, appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your content. Yeah, Locked on Auburn is available wherever you get your podcast. A new show drops every weekday morning. Also up on YouTube every single day if that is your thing when you're home just chilling, you like putting on a YouTube video. And if you're in the uh, Auburn or Opelika Lee County area, I am live every morning from 6 to 9 on News Talk WANI. That is on 98.7 FM. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, my man. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast. We'll be back with more of On the Line in just a moment. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Last segment of our number one here. Big thank you there to Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast for joining us here in this first hour. If you've missed any of the show so far, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Before we get out of our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. third quarter finals the results of the third quarter finals that is on america's got talent is on nbc at seven if it's wednesday night on abc that means game shows with press your luck at seven and the one hundred thousand dollar pyramid at eight on fox there's a two-hour episode of master chef from seven to nine movie selection for tonight the dark knight is on paramount at six and i'll be real guys i think that is one of cinema's greatest masterpieces so dark knight paramount at six live sports major league baseball is on espn with the los angeles dodgers at the san diego padres at nine prior to the ball game you can catch the little league world series on espn at 6 30 live coverage of paralympics 2020 in tokyo wheelchair basketball wheelchair rugby track cycling and goalball on nbc sports from 7 to 2 at 7 p.m to 2 a.m so man you got a lot of stuff to watch tonight that's what's on tv tonight can you can you run back through the the four or five sports you listed there at the end? Wheelchair basketball. Ball? I did say goalball. I don't know what that is. Wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, track cycling, and goalball. Go, what is what is goalball? Did, did you just say wheelchair rugby? Yes, I did. That's cool. what. Yes. How, how does that work? I don't know, but I have looked up goalball. All right, and goalball, according to Wikipedia, is a team sport designed specifically for athletes with a vision impairment. Okay. And it is in the Paralympics. Cool. So you can watch that tonight. If you're cool. curious what it is, it is on tonight, and you there can you watch it. Hey, I, I believe uh, that game that I believe it's Spectre keeps calling in about, that game show that Auburn's participating in, they won last night. I believe Let's they go! Get, they, I think they beat Columbia, and so they're moving on to the semifinals. I there we they go. Did. 
I might have to watch this wheelchair rugby. It is encouraged effectively to crash into each other in the wheelchairs. That's awesome. That's, I was wondering, it's like, how do you deal with physical contact? Well, like that. I, hey, I encourage people to watch it. it it's uh, it's good to see what these athletes are doing and to, uh, you know, to be participating in the Paralympics in 2020 here in Tokyo. So I'm, I, I would encourage people to watch it. I, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see what's going on. That's why I put it in there and what's on TV tonight. Lance, before we get out of here, hour number one, I want to bring up week zero college football schedule. I'm sure a lot of people are starving for football. Which game of week zero are you most excited about? There are a couple of interesting matchups, but I think I'm going to go with Hawaii against UCLA. UCLA currently favored by 17 and a half, and I kind of want to take the Rainbow Warriors to cover in week zero. I'm bullish on this Hawaii team. Uh, I think they've got some really good pieces. I think their offense is going to forever be good. Uh, I I know that uh, they don't run the run and shoot uh, as well anymore, but they've got, like I mentioned just a day or so ago, a really good running back that's a versatile guy that can play receiver, play quarterback, play running back, just can do just about everything uh, for the Rainbow Warriors. I'd like to see him get involved, and if they're going to keep it close with UCLA, I think he's the reason. I think it's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be fun to preview UCLA to kind of see what they're about, see if they can handle a big matchup against potentially uh, or a potentially a really big matchup against UC or LSU just a week after that. So it's a preview game, but also I'm, I'm kind of pulling for Hawaii. Nebraska, Illinois, obviously, is the other big game of the weekend, and uh, Illinois with 18 starters coming back. First year head coach Brett Bielema, two and six last year, were the fighting Illini. They beat Nebraska last year, 41 to 23. So there's a revenge aspect there for Nebraska, as well as the storylines off the field for Nebraska revolving around the investigations inside the program. Fun fact about Illinois, because this may very well be a terrible football game. Fun fact here. They didn't have a single quarterback on roster last year with a completion percentage higher than 50%. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be a Man, fun game. Man, there are two guys with the most attempts. 48.8 completion percentage, 41.3%. Man, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> that's it for hour number one. We'll be back with hour number two of On the Line in just a few moments. On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390. Or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach the show. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Starting off hour number two, as we always do, with our making headlines statement. And the Texas A&M Aggies, they've named a starting quarterback, and his name is Haynes King. And he looks like the dude from Game of Thrones, as I have come to learn during the break. And he's also only got four career pass attempts, four more than the guy that you guys are talking about on Game of Thrones. Exactly. Four more than me, four more than you, four more (laughs) than you, you, everybody. 
I mean, that's and that not consti- a lot of experience. And that constitutes a 10-win season. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw, I saw uh, we tweeted out from at ESPN 106.7 earlier, Noah's predictions for the uh, the upcoming SEC season, and a lot of people are disgruntled with his placement of Texas a and I think A&M. lot of people well, okay. are disgruntled. A few individuals. Few individuals I got are, positive reception from maybe an equal amount, I think. It uh, was pretty split. The, the, uh, the Auburn homers on, on Twitter are, are definitely accepting. They're this. alive and well, man. I love it. But yeah, it's just some a couple different people were 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 not happy with the A and M take. I don't have anything against it, uh, but that was one of your uh, your explanation for this. Kid's only taken four career pass attempts, and last time we saw A and M try to, to to develop a quarterback, it took him four years to do it. So, and sure, he's two for four, fifty percent. One of them was a touchdown. I think he's got nearly sixty passing yards on those two completions. So. Very limited action for Haynes King last year, and there are glowing scouting reports about him from when he was playing high school football. This is only his second year in college. A dual-threat quarterback offers them stuff with his legs. He's more of a passer, but still can move. He was listed as number five dual-threat quarterback in the class of 2020, outside of the top 100 by just a few spots and some recruiting services. He's a high-value type of player when you're getting him out of the state of Texas because the old adage is, you know, four stars, three or, or a three-star in Texas or a three-star in Florida is a four-star everywhere else. So what does that mean for four stars, right? Like, right. are they a five-star everywhere else? The guy's going to be good, but Kellen Mond was up there too, right? Kellen Mond was one of the most high-value targets for college football programs in the dual-threat dual realm when he was – in high school and it took him four years to develop and Jimbo Fisher really hasn't quickly developed a quarterback at least recently as a head coach I'm, I'm going back to his FSU years I, I it took Jameis Winston was quick but outside of Jameis Winston I I think we still saw a development curve for some of these guys and a brand new offensive line in front of them I'm just not buying that recipe they've got good skill position players but I'm still just not buying that recipe and even Kellen Mond last year you look at his stats I mean it's not like he did anything special he had a 63.3 percent completion percentage with just a little over 2200 yards passing and 19 TDs the difference between Kellen Mond last year and the first three years of Kellen Mond was that he finally figured out how to not throw interceptions so I, I just don't know how you can put so much trust into that this quarterback is going to be a driving force in this league, that he is going to be a truck, right? And in order for AM to finish second in the SEC West, at least this has been my take on it, I know I disagree with a lot of folks on this, but a lot of people out there, including yourself, I know that you've got him at second in the SEC West, they believe that AM is so talented around him that that won't matter. I just have a feeling that his play and his development and how much he can actually put onto his shoulders we see this time and time again. Freshmen, and most freshmen are not ready to lead a team to that type of spot. There's very few that can actually do that. You talk about Kellen Mond's resume coming out of high school. He was a four-star kid, number three dual-threat quarterback in the country, number 20 prospect in the uh, in the state of Texas, 108th nationally, 6'3", 217 pounds. That's higher H- than Haynes King. Haynes King, a four-star quarterback, number five dual-threat quarterback in the country, 19th best prospect in Texas, 131st nationally, 6'3", 200 pounds. I mean, it's they're very similar uh, in terms of ranking, size, 
uh, where the uh, dual threat ability. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they develop this kid. And like you mentioned, I just think that they've got so many different pieces around him offensively that he's going to, he's not going to be a world beater, but I think he's going to be a game manager. I don't think he's going to hurt them. Sure. And a big part of that comes down to the interception totals too. Will he, how many, how how, how much, how many of his mistakes, like can he limit his mistakes this upcoming year? And Kellamond had a hard time doing that his first couple of seasons and I go back to he has four pass attempts one of them was a pick one of them was a touchdown but one of them was a pick as well and so granted the pick came against Alabama but his touchdown came against South Carolina you know so there's a happy medium there and all all we have to say about Haynes King is that there's a great unknown there but the way that people talk about Texas A&M this upcoming season is that it's a foregone conclusion that they just got better at quarterback or that they didn't really miss a beat there. And I, I don't know if I believe that. And I wonder if the struggles of an offense can actually bring down their defense's collect, collective approach because as you and I have broke down time and time again, it's not that necessarily any one player on this defense really sticks out. DeMarvin Leal was really good last year, but and he's on the front seven uh, defensive end. But it's not like any one player on this defense really stands out as a game changer or a game breaker what this defense did so well was that they just made opposing teams work they they made you have to chip away at them all your uh, all game long and they held folks to 21.7 points allowed per game I can foresee that number going in a, in the direction they don't want it to if the offense can't consistently move the football and we've seen that with Auburn with some good defenses how many times did we think that Auburn was going to have an elite defense and then they ended up giving around 20 points a game because the offense struggled yep there you go yeah makes sense I'm I'm not mad at it uh, at all I'm not mad at the prediction at all I I don't think a lot of other people are like truly like upset over it but I will say two through five in the SEC West is going to be so hard to truly predict until we see some of these guys out there yep Let's go to our second headline of our making headline segment here. Chicago Bears head coach. This was from yesterday. Matt Nagy announced that Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback for the Bears in week one. As he should be, I feel like I'm 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 really high on Justin Fields. I like him. I think he's a good kid. I think he's a smart kid. I think, he's, I think he's a talented quarterback with a very high ceiling. Um, but week one, rookie season, let Andy Dalton who I think is not going to hurt the Bears this season like Mitch Trubisky did. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. Now that system, you can place a lot of question marks on. But I think Dalton's the guy to go with week one. I, I think that's uh, I think it's exciting to have Fields on your roster. I think it's exciting to have him potentially come in uh, and play at some point. But week one, I think this is the right move for Chicago. The problem is if you start Justin Fields week one, the, the moment if you were to go to Justin Fields too soon – at that point, you have no fallback option. The moment that you move on from Andy Dalton, and Andy Dalton, I'm sure, he's a professional. He's done this already. He did this in Dallas. Longtime starter for the Bengals. You just kind of get the feeling, though, the moment that you move on from Andy Dalton, you lose him as a legitimate option for your starting quarterback position this year. Because the moment that you go to Justin Fields, there is no going back. You are at that point. The box is open. It's no longer a test drive. You bought the car. You're in, right? And whatever happens, you have to live with it. Now, granted, Justin Fields could get better 100%. 
But once you start Justin Fields, you can't leave Justin Fields. Like, you can't. Because if you do, then you're essentially saying this guy's a bust. At least that's the way that I take it. Do you disagree with that? Uh, I th- I think yeah. I think if you if you flip flop back and forth, it would kind of be, view- be viewing him as somewhat. I wouldn't say a bust immediately, but I would just say it's just not not the answer. And so I think that messes with, in, in terms of the quarterback situation, pulling Dalton out messes with his confidence. Pulling Fields out potentially midway through the season would mess with his. I mean, just look at what happened with Mitchell Trubisky. Right. Have these guys not learned? They tried to flip flop between Trubisky. That does not give you a huge vote of confidence to any quarterback right do you think it's the same situation for the the next headline that we have trevor lawrence being announced the jacksonville jaguar starting quarterback do you think it's the same there with gardner Minshew on the bench there's not as much of a legitimate option there around trevor lawrence to where you're like people are not going to get mad at you if trevor lawrence is underwhelming this year at the jaguars with gardner Minshew behind him also it's the jaguars people will write it off be like well, it'll be like what happened with Sam Darnold in New York. You're you're going to see enough positive things from Trevor Lawrence this year, this year to where you're like, oh no, it's not his fault. It's the Jaguars, or, or you're, at least you won't know. You'll be sitting here thinking to yourself, well, we've seen some good things. I don't think we can truly draw a conclusion that this guy isn't going to work out. He doesn't really have a lot of help around him on offense. His running back that they drafted in the first round has a list Frank inj- injury that he's going to be out for a significant period of time. And, you're, and you don't have enough confidence to go to Gardner Minshew on the bench to be like, yeah, that guy's really going to turn things around too. Whereas, I think you've seen, yeah, Andy Dalton just has a little bit more clout, I think, than Gardner Minshew does. Also, the Bears were a playoff team. Like, they're expecting to be in the playoffs this year, or, or they expect to at least be in, it's the Chicago organization every year. They should be expecting to be trying to make it to the playoffs. So I yeah. I think it is a little bit different. Yes. I think it is a little bit different. I will say, though, um, I, I did want to see a little bit more Minshew mania. And I was one of those people. That I don't was, think he was horrible. Yeah, I thought he was a decent Future Ryan Fitzpatrick here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the vibes yes. that I get. Yes, like, I like long that time backup, bounces around team to team. Maybe not as he's not as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick, so I don't think that he can have quite as many starting stops as Ryan Fitzpatrick has had late in his career. But just kind of long time journeyman in the league, possesses a good arm, he's accurate. I think that he can play at a lot of different places. And I'm not saying he's a bad backup, but he's not good enough to justify leaving Trevor Lawrence even in his struggles with the surrounding pieces because it's not getting better with Mitchu. Yeah, I'm just sad I didn't get to see him start. Who knows? We may potentially see him start this year if, if Lawrence isn't the guy. Going to our fourth headline, because Trevor Lawrence was named the Jacksonville Jaguars starting quarterback for week one. That was why you asked me that question. The New England Patriots traded running back Sony Michelle to the Rams in exchange for conditional draft picks. It will either be a fifth and sixth round draft pick, or depending on if the Rams get a compensa- compensatory pick, uh, compensatory. compensatory pick, depending on how they get, if that occurs, which apparently it is relatively likely that they will get that compensatory pick, then it will be a fourth-round selection going to the New England Patriots. So it's pretty much a fourth-rounder for Sony Michel. Is is Sony Michel worth that? He, from what I've read, he wasn't he wasn't like a factor in the New England Patriots offense. So this feels like a pretty good deal for the Rams, right? The Patriots are out here swindling folks always. Okay, I know this as a fan of the Cleveland Browns. He has robbed us of a, in trades many a time. So. And I, it may be his revenge for getting canned by the Browns way back in the day. But right. still, yes, the Patriots know how to get a good deal. 
So uh, yeah, this I, is a win. I might have said Rams just there. I meant to say Patriots. I meant to say they're 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 getting value for a guy that they just didn't use. So it feels feels like a pretty good move for the Pats. Yes, the Pats are definitely cashing in now on some of their depth at running back, which has been a committee a committee approach to running the football, including the quarterback position. If you take Cam Newton into account, but I also think the Rams are getting something that they want. I think that this I think this trade benefits both teams. I don't think that it's like I know I said that. Bill Belichick and the Patriots can swindle folks in trades and they've really been on the winning side of a lot of trades in my mind but I think this is one that benefits both teams and and is fair considering that the Rams need some depth at running back and need some other options there and may who knows maybe this is where Sonny Michelle will break out of his will will, will break out of his shell if you will considering yeah I know right maybe he'll break out of that (laughs) well I accidentally did it sorry Sting but Maybe this will be the place going to Sean McVay, who is one of the better offensive minds in football, whereas Belichick is one of the better defensive minds in football. So maybe this will be a place for him to break out. Yeah, for sure. I think it's going to be a fun offense to watch, especially with uh, with Stafford now there. Last headline, the Braves dropped both of their midweek games to the Yankees with yesterday's 5-4 to four loss. Another egregious – I can't believe this. It's all year long. There's just egregious umpire decisions in Braves games. And another one at home played. Freddie Freeman called out. Did you see it? I was watching – yes, I watched the whole Absurd. game. And I, I, I said he's safe last night probably more than I've said in my entire life combined. Like it was I, – I was so – so disgruntled last night and it was it was funny because he freddie got up in the uh, bottom of the ninth and there's like the ma- they called him like the man that was called out it's like so that's forever it's like gonna be my nickname for him the man that was called out and it, he he almost got it too in the bottom of the, the ninth the bases give it a ride yeah the bases ba- were loaded bases were loaded took a shot it was deep deep left field he just barely missed it didn't get enough of it um it's it's just a, it's a shame it's a shame the the Braves fought last night um they played well I feel like it's just that one call from the umpire man like it looked he looked safe to me it was close but he looked like he had his foot on the bag almost all the way across the bag by the time that the that the uh, catcher had tagged him so I was talking to somebody yesterday and I used the word I, I said the Yankees and the Braves are in this are in a similar predicament when it comes to postseason positioning and he kind of just wrote it off as like they're not in a they're not in a predicament and I was like uh, and I, I, I didn't really say much after that I, I, I was thinking to myself I was like yeah I mean they do have a four and a half game lead but now the Braves don't play again until Friday right and the Phillies and the Mets are playing throughout this week they still have another couple of games so that's going to bring the lead down a little bit if the Phillies can find a way to win but then on top of that you've got a really tough stretch for the Braves coming up over the next six where if they lay an egg over these next six games this division's right back neck and neck tied this is what I was saying uh to a friend of mine as I was watching it watching it last night it's like the Braves have to win this game because the Phillies play the the Rays and then they get four games at home against the Diamondbacks and the 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 uh the Phillies do and then the Braves have to play a series against uh, the Giants and then a series on the road at Los Angeles. I mean, this is about to be a a really tough stretch for the Braves, and getting one of the wins against the Yankees uh, during this two-game series was important, and uh, the Braves weren't able to cash in. So, like you just said, the race could get tight again here within the next week or so. And the Yankees are surging. 
of course, they are in that wild card spot squarely at the moment and, and have a nice lead over it as well. And I don't think the rest of the American League will really push them for that spot, but they do play in considerably the toughest division in all of baseball. And I think I saw somebody on Twitter say their 11-game winning streak is their longest winning streak since like, since like sometime in the 1980s. They're rolling like, like right they're, now. They're, they're on fire right now. And all of those moves they made at the trade deadline, they put themselves into position. I mean, this don't rule them out to be able to go to go on a World Series run. You know, I, there's a lot of really good teams. on. They're, they're, it's really top-heavy in baseball this year. It's very top-heavy. And as evidenced by the fact that the National League East had has pretty much teams with losing records still in the race. You know, like the right. Braves were below 500 until – well, like two or three weeks ago, and now they're roaring ahead back in front in the division. But still, the fact that that, that that division has teams with a losing record still in contention to win the division, and that it's that tight of a race when you look at other leagues where like the Giants have 80 wins right now, and they're almost 40 games above 500. And then you look into the, Nash, uh, the, to the American League East, there are three teams across the top that have like 70 wins. It's There's some really good teams at the top everywhere else. It's just kind of... Are they really going to compete for the World Series at the end? Yeah, the the American actually they've got six teams with at least seventy wins, and then the Rays are almost there at eighty. Uh, they've got they've got seventy eight. Um, staying real quick, thoughts on the Astros and their uh, postseason potential? Well, they're struggling against bad teams right now. I mean, they just they just beat the Royals for only the second time in six tries, I think. Uh, but. I'm confident because they've played really well against teams that are over 500 this season, and I believe they're the second seed right now. But I don't, I'm not exactly sure of the tiebreaker in the playoffs as far as home field advantage because right now the Astros and the Yankees have the same record. So if those two were to say meet in the playoffs, even though the Astros are the higher seed and won their division, do the Yankees get game one and two at home? Do, do we right. know for sure? I'm not. I'm not certain. I'm not sure. What are the, what would be the emotions if you had to face the Yankees in the playoffs? I'd be ready. Let's go. Just just pure anger. It's, yes, it's it's a rivalry now. I they can't stand us. We can't stand them. So nobody can stand y'all. <laughs> nobody can stand the Yankees either. Uh, but I, you I know like what? the pinstripes. It, it, well, yeah, but you're you're weird. <laughs> I like the pinstripes. <laughs> no, and, hey, and, and the Astros always beat the beat the Yankees, man. So, I mean, they, they they don't beat Houston in the playoffs. So I'm looking forward to beating them again. The gauntlet has been thrown down. I will check back with you in about three months or two months. That is <laughs> because you you just said that you said the Yankees don't beat the Astros in the playoffs. We'll play in that series back. in series. Mark this yeah. down. Wednesday, August 25th edition of On the Line. I'll come back to it. All right. And I'm uh, ready. it'll become a hot key. All right. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. You're listening to On the Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wednesday edition of the show. It's been a fun show so far. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out of RadioAlabamaSports.net. And on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page, follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Just finished our Making Headlines segment, bouncing around the sports world about what's going on today. Now, let's get into giving our game-by-game predictions for the SEC West, picking up where we left off yesterday. We did the SEC East yesterday. These are our final official predictions for the southeastern conference and let's just go back 
top to bottom i know we did a couple of the west teams yesterday let's go back remind everybody of them and break it down you and i both at the top we defer here on how their season will go but both at the top we have alabama winning the sec west i've got alabama going undefeated 12 and 0 8 no now of course college football doesn't ever go as black and white as you think that it should when you pick game by game in the preseason and and assemble a record that way i'm very open to lance's possibility of 11 and 1 7 and 1 i guess because they're not losing to miami in yours so 11 and 1 7 and 1 take me through it 11 and 1 7 1 in the sec and this prediction the team that i think they're going to lose to is less because i genuinely believe that they will lose to this team it's more banking on the fact that they've not had uh back-to-back undefeated seasons in a very very long time in fact the last time that they went undefeated uh outside of last season obviously was 2009 it's been that long uh since they went undefeated and with a freshman quarterback and two or three starters returning on offense I just don't trust this team to 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 run the table once again and to go undefeated I think they lose to somebody it's just a question of who it is Florida Ole Miss A&M LSU and Auburn obviously the games that you would look at as potential losses I at the end of the day I said Texas A&M for the first time since 2012 will beat the Alabama Crimson Tide and I know that's a wild take I'm honestly not that one like excited about it. But if there's a team that I think could possibly do it, it's either A&M or Auburn. And right now, I'll say A&M. The re- there are a couple of reasons for this. Number one, I think that Miami will get close to beating Alabama, but they won't beat them. Regardless, I think they will lay the blueprint out. I don't think Florida is going to be able to do it because I have questions about their entire their their entire squad, specifically that defense. Ole Miss will definitely have a shot, but I think A&M is the first team to actually truly take advantage of that blueprint because they have the best defense, I believe, out of those four teams that I'm talking about here at the, in the first half of the schedule. I think A&M takes advantage of it. I think Haynes King just does just enough. I think they've got enough uh, pieces on offense uh, at the wide receiver position and two really talented running backs. I think they, they, there's a really good shot that they get it done. Um, and then I think the teams in front of them, specifically Miami, though, they give a blueprint as to how A&M could potentially beat them. And then also you have to take into consideration before this matchup, they play Miami, Florida, and Ole Miss. That's three potential top 25 teams in the first five weeks of the season. I mean, they will have gone through the ringer. So, and, and I know it's Alabama, but if I were to pick a loss, I think the A&M spot uh, it's it does not lie well on the schedule for them, and that boosts them up to second in your SEC West. Yes, it does. I have A and M finishing at ten and two, uh, six and two in the SEC, and uh, it, it's 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 really really tough to gauge two through five in the SEC West. I mean, it it just feels like you could pick any of those three or four teams uh, between let's see, Ole Miss, Auburn, A and M, LSU. And like just shuffle them around, and I think that a lot of people wouldn't disagree with it. I went with A&M eventually, though, because I do really like that defense, and I like the pieces they have around Haynes King, and I think that's just enough to propel them to a win over Alabama and, and, and that second spot in the West. I went with Auburn at second in the SEC West, and I put that prediction out earlier on Twitter, and that's making the rounds at the moment, and I'm happy to see people engaging with that, but I've got Auburn at second in the SEC West, and no, this is not sunshine pumping. I really think this team is good enough to do this, and I feel like with this coaching staff, you moved on from from Gus Malzahn 
in this group not for a lack of talent not for how he was recruiting you you moved on from him because you didn't believe that he could get Auburn over the hump and I I don't think Brian Horst is necessarily going to get Auburn over the hump this year but I think he's going to have Auburn competing my thing is I look at last year's team that finished top five in the SEC was one of five teams that had a winning record and I'm thinking all right how did this team regress to in some people's predictions sixth in the SEC West like how did that happen and I I don't think it did happen simply put if anything the talent's there for them to move past eight and four which they would have been an eight and four team last year had you played the schedule that they were supposed to play instead of an all SEC schedule you incorporate a regular schedule this year favorable east opponent in South Carolina I think it sets up first year head coach weird things happen on these types of odd years I think it's very possible for Auburn to move past the floor that I've established at eight and four and to get them up to that nine ten win range if they can find a way to beat LSU and I'm not mad at that again two through four two through five I think a lot of things are up in the air for these different schools and Auburn's got a lot of production coming back if they've got a good coaching staff that leads them in the right direction they could end up at second in the west let's take a quick break we go three through seven when we come back Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, the Drive with Bill Cameron. There's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. We've given our top two in our SEC West predictions for this year. I went Alabama-Auburn. You went Alabama-Texas A&M. Now let's go three through seven. Lance, who you got at three? At number three, I have LSU finishing uh, 10-2, and 6-2 and two in the SEC. And this one was really tough for me to decide whether or not I put Auburn or LSU because at the end of the day, if Auburn, the way, the way that my schedule prediction works out, if Auburn does beat LSU, then they do finish third. Um, but I have LSU beating them and finishing 6-2 and two in the conference. Look, I was really, really low on LSU to start the offseason. Like, really, really low because that defense was just absolutely abysmal last season. But what has happened to make you higher on them? What has happened to, to make me believe that they are going to flip the script is – Bo Pelini is not there. All right, that's basically what it all comes back to. I think that offense is going to be just fine. But I, is Durante Jones being there enough to improve that defense? I think it is because you look at the talent that was producing before Pelini got there, and Stingley and Eli Ricks. Uh, I, actually, I don't know if Ricks was there whenever whenever uh, Pelini was not there. All that, but they've got so much talent in that secondary that is played well outside of Pelini that I believe if they bring in an, an NFL guy like Durante Jones and I'm not saying they're going to be world beaters I just think they're going to improve to the point where they can get back to 10 and 2 I think they've got the talent they've got they've recruited that well uh, so if the coordinators are good nothing tells me why they shouldn't be able to bounce back and get to third or second in the west the reason that I have them again at second over third is because I just have a really really hard time saying that Auburn's going to break a 20-year curse. Could it happen? Absolutely. Like you and I have talked about, if there was a year for it to happen, it would be this year. It's just, man, I have a really tough time picking against that talent 
on the road. It's it's just going to be a really tough game for Auburn that they can win. I'm just going to go with history. Yeah, I understand it. There are a lot of people high up on this LSU team to be able to bounce back. All right, I'm gonna br- I've got LSU at three, but I'm not as high on LSU. I don't think they hit a 10-win season in the, in the regular season, that is, and I, and I do have them losing to Auburn. I'm still sticking to my guns with LSU with what I've said throughout the offseason where there's a lot of distractions around the program. I don't necessarily trust their quarterback situation. Of course, things were made a little bit easier in their decision-making process. It's not what they wanted to happen, and, and you don't want anybody to get hurt, but when Miles Brennan suffered an injury to his arm in the offseason recently, actually the beginning of August, that kind of made things you know with tj finley transferring you're like all right well it has to be max johnson now right and i'm not i'm just not sold on what they've got at quarterback even a massive improvement on defense like they gave up 35 points allowed per game last year on that side of the ball a 10 point difference there still is just an average defense and i don't know if that's enough to get them to that 10 win mark because i don't think that this offense is just going to be setting the college football world on fire i mean look at the last seven years in points per game right the outlier year of course is 2019 when they won the natty and they scored you know 48 a game and some people were calling it at the time the greatest offense to have ever played college football joe burrow we all know that stuff but outside of that 32 points a game 32 27 28 32 27 so lsu's just not known for typically having these just high octane scorching offenses and i I don't trust the guy coming from the NFL that may be the protege to to Joe Brady. I'm just not totally sold that in his first year calling plays that is just going to all of a sudden correct with a quarterback that really hasn't had a whole lot of starting time with Max Johnson. Now he was impressive leading Florida or excuse me, leading LSU to victories over Florida and Ole Miss, but those two defenses were awful last year. And so you look at his stat line, he still was under 60% completion percentage at 58.7. He had eight touchdowns to one pick, so overall good decision-making, but not the most accurate quarterback in the world either. LSU has a hard time running the football, 3.3 yards per carry last year. I don't think that has a super impressive jump. They fired their O-line coach right after their spring game. You know, I'm just, I have major questions still about LSU. I'm sitting at like nine and three with them. The reason, the reason that I think that these coordinators could potentially figure it out, figure it out, is because I don't think they face the best defenses until November. Like the best defenses in the SEC, you play UCLA, McNeese State, Central Michigan, Mississippi State. Then you play Auburn at home, and you say, "Well, Auburn's got a def- good defense." Yeah, it's at home, and Auburn's not won there in twenty years. You play at Kentucky, you get Florida at home, you have to play Ole Miss, and then you have to play Alabama and A and M in November. I think at that point, I think these coordinators will have figured it out. And I'm not saying I agree with you. I'm not saying that this this defense is going to be world beating. I'm not saying this offense is going to be world beaters. I just think there's so much talent on this roster that these coordinators will be able to eventually figure it out and get this team nine or ten wins again I don't want to pick Auburn to lose to LSU I think Auburn's a very talented team I think Kentucky Auburn and Mississippi State defenses are good enough to give these guys fits they did last year yeah but the the offenses though the offenses for Mississippi State and Kentucky are they going to really be able to keep up with LSU I I just I just don't see it happen I would not be shocked if Kentucky put up near 200 rush yards on this LSU defense give up nearly five yards per carry last year now it'll be improved but what Kentucky does well is run the ball right I I think you're looking at a nasty like I think LSU beats Kentucky of course that's not one of the teams I have them losing to but I could see that being like 29-21 LSU of course at the end of the day but it doesn't look great 
you know yeah sure and then i mean the only three teams i got lsu losing to is auburn florida and alabama so i mean we're splitting hairs here we're splitting hairs on one game and we got them finishing at the same spot in the division i'm just saying i think this lsu team looks a little bit different maybe than than 10 wins i i just i i having a hard time getting there and they haven't really done that that often they have not done a 10 win regular season outside of 2019 since 2012 that's that's the last time they did that and so i'm wondering if the talent level has dropped a little bit at lsu now recruiting wouldn't suggest that but orzron's been there long enough to where it's his guys and it's his development right you know so i'm we'll see i i once again we're splitting hairs it's one game there so it's not a big difference get to four here number four is auburn and again i don't i don't want to pick auburn to lose to lsu i have them beating penn state uh but then i've have them losing to lsu georgia and alabama um, three rivals that Auburn fans would really like to see Auburn beat. I just uh, I don't want to pick Auburn to lose these games, but at the end of the day, man, like I just think that Georgia is going to be really talented. Alabama is going to be really talented. I see Sting fake crying in the corner over here. Uh, LSU's won that game in Baton Rouge for the last 20 or so years. I think Auburn gets it done at Penn State. I think Auburn matches up with them well. I think this team's good. I think there's a lot of things that Auburn can build on heading into next season. Next season's going to be interesting uh, based on how much Auburn loses, but I think I think 9-3 and three is a good spot for this team. And going back to in a point here, and I, I understand it. I've heard a lot of people say those exact same things. I want to ask you this question. Where, if Auburn's able to win at Penn State, and what I believe is a more, at that time, that will be a more hostile environment than what I think that they may face in Baton Rouge. Okay, a night game, wide out at Penn State, maybe a little bit more intimidating than a 2.30 at LSU. It will be comparable, okay? It, it will at least go there. Maybe not more intimidating, but it will be comparable. If Auburn's able to go on the road and beat Penn State, how does that confidence not translate and the ability to play in an environment like that not translate to Baton Rouge? History. <laughs> history and matching up with that passing offense. I just I just have my concerns. <laughs> like, they, Auburn... If it was on a neutral site or if it was at Auburn, I would feel a lot more comfortable. Of course, it, they beat them by 37 last year right. at home. On the road, I don't feel comfortable saying Auburn's going to beat them for the first time in, in, in 20 years or so confidently. Like I just I just don't have that yeah. confidence. My only rebuttal to that, and I totally understand that perspective, it, it gave me a lot of pause to like, well, Auburn beat LSU, but just because of how long that has been lingering over us, it's a new coaching staff. And that is going to bring a fresh perspective on every single ball game on Auburn's schedule that they play traditionally, right? Like every single SEC game that they traditionally play. This coaching staff can come in and say confidently to their players, this is not the previous regime. We are doing things different, right? And things are going to change. And we are going to win these football games. And I think this coaching staff, the things that they say, because it's their first year, will ring a little bit will ring a little bit better with these players than Malzahn when he's trying to get them fired up in 2019 to get them to believe that they can go into Baton Rouge and win or in 2017 getting them to believe that because he hadn't been able to beat them and the two times that he did go there to play them at 13 and 15 it didn't look great right 13 they they did a little bit better in the second half but still you lost by two touchdowns and 15 you got massacred Malzahn by the end people it, it, it just kind of the same thing said and it was hollow right this coaching staff it feels a little bit different because it's at least their first year now if it doesn't pan out this season then maybe there's the risk of 
it not resonated with them as much in subsequent years. It just comes down to the players buying in. So I think it's I think there's a better chance for players to buy in in the first year for Brian Harson than there would have been for the last year or the last two years for Gus Malzahn because they had they had given him their the run right things yeah. had gotten stale. I'll say this. I've seen a team that beat Georgia and Alabama and go to the SEC championship blow a 20-point lead. But on the flip side, I've also seen a 9-3 and Auburn team with a freshman quarterback go into Baton Rouge and only lose by three to the eventual national champion. So You've seen a lot of crazy things I've in that seen, game. I've seen things happen in that game. It's going. I don't want to pick Auburn to lose. I think Auburn has, has the chance to win that game. I just, history is on LSU's side on this one. Sure. Let's move on. Fourth for me, I've got Ole Miss. This is the team that has no defense but can score a bajillion points, and that's going to help them win some football games against teams that I don't think are going to be as good as maybe the the national media predicts. Like, I've got them beating Texas A&M. I think Ole Miss can flirt with nine wins this year significantly. I think the three teams that they lose to, they lose to Alabama, LSU, and Auburn. And I I think they find a way to beat Texas A&M because I I still, once again, I just don't trust – in a shootout the Texas A&M offense to be able to put up a consistent amount of points with a freshman quarterback to not be able to make mistakes when points are needed if offense is needed to win a football game on Texas A&M schedule this year I am not I'm probably not picking them to win that ball game just because I, I just don't have faith that the freshman quarterback is going to be able to win a shootout that's more prone for him to make mistakes versus a Matt Corral or or even a KJ Jefferson at Arkansas who's seen significant playing time compared to Haynes King. So I got Ole Miss at four, and a big part of that's because they're able to beat AM. Ole Miss, or I, yeah, again, I have Auburn at four. At fifth, I have Ole Miss eight and four, four and four in the SEC. I have them losing to Alabama, LSU, Auburn, and then Texas AM. The reason that I have them beating, or losing rather, to Texas AM at home is even though, like you mentioned, the Texas AM offense is probably not going to be elite. I think with the, how bad this Ole Miss defense is, uh, I think the 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 A and M defense will be able to cause havoc on in 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 their respective right. I think they're going to ha- be able to cause havoc on the defensive side of the ball and make Matt Corral throw into double coverage and force the issue a little bit. If we're saying that Haynes King is going to be put in a tough spot against a really bad defense, I think it's also fair to say a really good offense in Matt Corral and Ole Miss is going to be able to put be put in some tough spots by a really good A&M defense. I've flip-flopped on that game. I understand why you would have A&M losing that game. I think with the talent level that A&M has on both sides of the ball, I'm not necessarily thinking that Haynes King is going to be turnover prone against a defense that was really, really bad last year. Road game bothers me there, too, for A&M to go there, but uh at fifth and this is going to shock some people but it's on a technicality alone i've got arkansas at fifth in the standings and a&m at sixth and that is i've got a&m finishing seven and five arkansas going six and six but i'm pulling the trigger on the upset in week four and saying that arkansas will beat texas a&m and so by the technicality of the tiebreaker both teams going three and five in sec play i've got arkansas beating texas a&m and a uh, big part of that i think early season still trying to figure things out from an offensive standpoint Arkansas forced it to a lot of turnovers last year they were like top three in the SEC and takeaways I think they have the ability to force a freshman into some mistakes they play tough Sam Pittman's gonna have his guys fired up for this especially if they don't beat that Texas game this is going to be that game where like Arkansas is latching onto it to try and ignite their season and I, I'm gonna tell it's typically a close game between the two teams I think that with 19 starters coming back this is that game that they're trying to latch onto 
to set a fire on their season. I think they find a way to do it. I have Arkansas finishing six in the West, but I do have them going to a bowl game like you know, a six and six on the year. I think this this Arkansas team is not going to be great, but I think they've got the pieces just based off all that returning production to get to a bowl game, and I think K.J. Jefferson is going to be a pretty decent quarterback. So I, I think that games against Texas A&M and Texas are going to be dogfights. I do have them beating Texas A&M, and I know, like I said yesterday, I've got Arkansas beating A&M, but A&M beating Alabama. Um, I just think it's a random spur of the moment sh- flash in the pan showing the potential of this Arkansas team. Uh, but at the end of the day, in, end of the day, I do have them finishing six and six. And last, we have Mississippi State having an abysmal season. Yeah, four and eight, one and seven in the SEC for me. I just don't see this offense taking huge strides forward. The air raid might work in the Pac-12. I don't think it's going to work in the SEC, even with the pass happy systems that we're seeing. Like, we're seeing the direction of the SEC trend toward that, where you throw the football around a lot more. I just don't see the air raid working. You you have talked about the numbers uh, on this show a lot of just how inefficient they were in pushing the ball downfield. Will Rogers was not great at that last year. They were young. They've got talent coming back. But I just don't see this team really making any progression whatsoever. Now, I, I will say the defense is going to be pretty decent. Um, but I think... I think they need to find a new guy. I don't think Mike Leach is it. And I've said that a few times on this show. I just I just don't think that he's the answer. And he's going to have to prove it this year, I think, because if it doesn't go well, if 4-8 happens, I think there will be a, a significant issue there for him. Interesting point here. You and I both have them beating Memphis, right? That would be how they got to 4-8? Yes. Memphis is their third game at Memphis. Memphis has is one of the longest-running home win streaks in college football. Yeah, 15 games. Yeah, They're going to Memphis. So I'd, I don't even feel great about that, but something about 3-9 and nine with Mississippi State bothered me. Yeah. But still, I think Memphis has got a pretty good shot of beating. I mean, Tulsa almost did it in the bowl game. So let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll wrap up the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Last segment of the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Okay, everybody, the results of the third quarter finals on America's Got Talent is on NBC at 7. Wednesday on ABC means game shows with Press Your Luck at 7 and the $100,000 Pyramid at 8. On Fox, there's a two-hour episode of Master Chef from 7 to 9. Movie selections for tonight, The Dark Knight is on Paramount at 6. In live sports, Major League Baseball is on ESPN with the Los Angeles Dodgers at the San Diego Padres at 9. Prior to the ball game, you can catch the Little League World Series on ESPN at 6.30. Live coverage of Paralympics 2020 in Tokyo with wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, track cycling, and goalball on NBC Sports from 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. College football, it's not far, but... If you're having a hard time waiting, ESPNU playing its top 25 college football games of 2020. Lance, what'd you watch tonight? Uh, probably going to be watching. I may tune into the Dark Knight a little bit. May try and figure out what uh, what uh, is it? Goalball, you said? Goalball. Goalball. Yeah, I may watch a little bit of that. That sounds interesting to me. Sounds fascinating. You were describing it during the break, and it's for people who are who are blind. You said. Sounds, visually impaired sounds sounds really interesting like i'm I'm actually like may tune in just to see see how the sport flows it's 
hand-ear coordination, according to Wikipedia. It's a ball that has like that's been implanted with bells. So you're you're playing completely off of your ability to hear. You're not allowed to kick the ball. It's all tossing and throwing, and they uh, have to. It, it's kind of like handball in that respect. So it's going to be interesting. There's some stuff to watch tonight. Sting particularly interested in wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby. Yeah, that stuff on that. Tonight. And I think I watched the Dodgers Padres game a little bit too. Oh if yeah, you're still up at that time, 9 p.m. That's a yeah, late, I will. That's be. a late baseball game. My man. bed's is late. I'm kidding. <laughs> 8.30 on FS1, MLS All-Stars take on Liga MX All-Stars. It's an MLS All-Star game. So if you're interested in some soccer out there as well, that, that'll be an entertaining that'll be an entertaining display for the future of soccer. Not trying to hate on soccer, but, man, I, I don't think if you gave me a million dollars, I could tell you one player in that event. To I'm, be fair, there aren't many significant <laughs> players on the world stage playing in that game. So mm. you're not wrong. So, yeah, fun fun slate left up to us here let's go back to that conversation we were having at the end of hour number one week zero games you're interested in hit me up with someone other than illinois nebraska and hawaii ucla i think you could also look at utep new mexico state they play for a trophy i think they play for a shovel in which <laughs> there you oh. go there you go stings on it yeah that's gonna be Brady's fantastic. on it intern belichick what's up man Oh, you don't have it? Okay, never mind. Okay, he doesn't so have it. I'm pretty that, sure it is a shovel. You look at the lines, though. That's the second closest line uh, o- over the, the five games on Saturday. It's the second closest line. UTEP is favored by 10. Two of the worst teams in the country. It's going to be at 830. I mean, what better way to kick off uh, week zero than watching two of the worst teams try and duke it out in what will most likely be like a 13-6 uh, to six matchup. It'll just be horrific. Sting, it is a shovel? Yes, it is a shovel. the battle gi- for I-95? I-10 uh, goes through, yeah, it goes through uh, Texas and New Mexico all the way to L.A. Yeah, it's a giant silver shovel, and there's also something called the Mayor's Cup, and it looks like a golden vase. I told y'all, I know my stuff. <laughs> I know stuff. I mean, look at, look at this <laughs> Someone picture. during the break tweeted at me, said I knew nothing about football, so, you know, I know stuff. New Mexico State and UTEP play for a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that should be the title of today's show. I know stuff. I know stuff. That's it. That's it for another edition of On the Line. Drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.